AirPods. Can you can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. All right. Okay, good, good, good. All so right. I've been I've been live for a little bit. So who, whoever was watching for the last ten minutes, just watching a, a blank screen, listening to the intro song. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> good thing it's a good song. You know what I mean. Oh, so uh, yeah, that's uh once again technology. Well, what do you do? We're here now. That's all that matters. Uh, introduce yourself. Let's uh, let's let's kick it off. Let's get straight into this bad boy. All right. Well, I mean, where do I start? Um, Name. Uh, where Alex. Where you been? Rabid, rabid Bitcoiner. Um, I, I've sort of been an entrepreneur, I guess, for for quite a number of years. Actually, it's probably the only thing I've ever done. I had a job for two weeks when I was sixteen. I got fired, and then never worked for anyone ever again. And um, <laughs> who'd you work for? Yeah, it's been a uh, D- Domino's Pizza. I crashed the car twice. What? <laughs> <laughs> that makes that was, sense. Uh, if you're gonna fire somebody for something, fired. that's probably it. You know. I know that, that that's the extent of my employability. Who who, who gets fired from Domino's Pizza? Jesus yeah, that's Christ. right. It's a, it's a bit of a. So, you know, I think that's like I think you get a a medal for that, right? They they, they fire you, yeah. but they're like, you've earned this. Take it with you, yeah, because you're the first yep. person in Domino's history to be fired. Yeah, exactly. So that's um, I, I figured if I got booted from there, I'd be unemployable. So I just figured I'd fucking work for myself for the rest of my life. It's a, it's and here a we are. Much better option, right? Much better. Well, look, in in some cases, yes. Um, but I, I think you know what one thing I have learned is that there's a lot of um. I don't know. On the surface, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, being your own boss and, you know, all this sort of stuff is great. But, but you know, I actually think for, for, for probably 90% of people, it's a really bad idea. Mm. It requires a particular personality type to, to want to work for yourself. And that's one that is, you know, really, how can I say, you know, able to deal with um, uncertainty, able to deal with, you know, not being paid, for example, for doing a bunch of work able to deal with loss, you know, able to deal with inconsistency, like all of that sort of stuff, like you need to be able to, to handle uh, if you're going to be running your own business. And for a lot of people, it's actually, it's actually, you know, better off to just work, you know, at, you know, maybe not Domino's Pizza as a pizza driver, but just sort of working a job because it, you know, it removes a lot of the uncertainty that comes with, uh, you know, doing things yourself and for yourself. Um, so anyway, I, I just think that's um, in some ways it's better, uh, in some ways it's not. You know, and then the, probably the other, the other thing that people don't realize is they think that they're you know going to set up a business and and work less because they have other people working for them. But you know what ends up happening is you know as an employee you're responsible from you know nine to five, but as a business owner you're responsible from five a.m. to nine p.m. <laughs> it's like you know you, you swapped your nine to five to five to nine yeah it's uh it's a it's different a, one of those people different sorry you go no i was gonna say it's a different gig yeah it's uh something that a lot of people don't take on board like i uh, i run my own business it's uh it creates a me and my partner argue all the time because uh you're always doing something always on your phone always on a computer mm-hmm. always you know it, it never ends and it's uh I think if you go into the mentality of owning a business or doing something for yourself where you're going to just do a nine to five, um, I've seen a lot of businesses. So I used to be a, a personal trainer, for instance, and uh, a lot of PTs mm-hmm. used to come in and I think the whole notion of of being a business owner as a PT, that, that same thing, you just work when you want. 
which is fine. You can work when you want, but you're not going to make any money. Um, yeah. A lot of them used to come in and like, cause PTs make a, a, a decent hourly and they go, oh, I'm just going to work four hours today. Uh, and I'm mm. going to just work four hours every day. Probably come in at about 10. And you're like, you've already missed your window. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they, they just, and mm-hmm. you'd watch them fail so quickly cause, uh, they just didn't want to step up to it. They just wanted to to work a couple of hours a day and and then go home and, and live that life of, of your expectation of what a business owner is, I guess. Uh, you get tons of money. You get tons of free time. You can just sort of kick back and, and uh, yeah, like you said, watch your employees do the work. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Not, not, not at least for the first 10 years of running a business. Yeah, that's you right. Know, you know, after 10 years, if you've, if you've sort of done it well, you, you may have built up the systems, the processes, and the procedures uh, in order for it to maintain itself. But in the beginning, like fucking, basically, here's, here's the trade-off. It's like people always think there's a hack in life, and, and there really isn't. Like the, 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 the trade-off is that as a business owner, you'll load your first 10 years in terms of like the, you'll do more hours and more fucking headache and more stress and take on more responsibility in that first 10 years of building up your career as a business owner in whatever field or industry you're in. And you'll do more then than most employees will work in their entire lives. Yeah. But you'll load it on the front end. Um, and then, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, if, if successful, if you made the right moves, if you, you know, you were intelligent along the way, et cetera, et cetera, you'll get to reap the reward of that on long term by being able to then dictate uh, your hours and do what you want to do. And, you know, you'll have set up the procedures and the processes for other people to do the heavy lifting. But th- there's no way out of that. It's like, you know, the, the, the question isn't, um, you know, uh, what's the easy way? The, the, the question is, which path do you want to walk? And and one is a really steep climb in the beginning. You know, you're going yeah. to be fucking scaling a cliff face where the chances of actually falling are real. Like, you know, you, you're going to, you're doing it without a harness. Or do you want to take the, you know, the long walk, which is not so steep, you know, but you'll be walking for, a, you know, for, for 60 years. Um, and, and that's kind of the, I think that the real way to frame up uh, running one's own business because yeah, for, for, for many people, you know, taking the, taking the long, slow, uh, you know, easy path uh, is, is, is better. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's a, that's applicable to life though. You can, uh, if, if you don't sacrifice anything, there's no reward. Uh, you can apply mm-hmm. that to, you know, general health, you know, if you if you feel as though you're overweight and you want to get thin, you have to sacrifice something. If you want to, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, you know, study early on or leave it late to later when you're when you're a bit older, you're gonna have to sacrifice sleep. Uh, you know what I mean? There's there's always that bit of sacrifice to get to where you need to, and uh, I think the more, as you're saying, the more you sacrifice in the beginning, or um, the, the more you're gonna reap at the end where you're not where you're not struggling so hard to uh. To, to gain something. Um, I think there is, like you said, that perception of uh, just getting it all at once and it, it being handed to you. And it's such a weird anomaly that, that ever happens. Uh, I don't think any business has been created where it's just sort of kicked off immediately. And, and then, and then people sort of like owners have reaped the rewards like straight away, straight off the bat. I don't think yeah. it's, and if it does, it's once again, it's a rarity. And then the longevity of those businesses sort of suffers because it's you're kind of tripping over your feet a lot as well. So, 
Um, yeah, there's a, there's a huge element of luck sometimes. So so there's a I don't know if you've ever read Taleb's books like um you know Black Swan, Full by Randomness, and all that sort of stuff. But you know in in Full by Randomness, it talks about how you know there's a lot of people these days who who basically they and this you'll find across markets, across business, across all sorts of industries is that you know you've got these people who miss uh, misinterpret luck, for example, for skill. Yeah, and there's a lot of cases of people who just, just literally are in the right place at the right time, and they they uh, they overestimate their own uh, capabilities, and then they think that you know oh I've got all this sorted out because I'm a fucking genius. Yeah, um, and you know it's it, it's funny the the younger you are the more you think like that because when I was young that's what I thought like I made my first million by the time I was 23, um, thought I was a fucking genius, and then managed to be broke and destitute by the time I was 26, and and not through spending money partying or doing any of that sort of stuff. I actually reinvested into more businesses thinking that, you know, I had this fucking formula that I knew what I was doing. I opened up a gym. I started importing led lights from fucking China to, to go onto that trend and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, there was an Achilles heel, which is I, um, I had installed, uh, God knows how many millions of dollars, I think 20, $30 million worth of, um, solar panels, uh, and you know we we had a debt outstanding uh, with the government, and the government reneged on I think a billion dollars worth of um of rebates at the time, and all these companies went bankrupt in the process, and we did too. Like I lost two and a half million dollars overnight, and everything else got wiped out in one shot. And and if I was more prudent, if I was a bit older, if you know if I was you know more intelligent about uh, how I ran businesses and all that sort of stuff at that age, you know maybe. I could have avoided a lot of that and I could have, you know, uh, set my business up to be more robust, but you know, the, 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 that's sort of the cost of, you know, early success in some ways is that you, you don't, you don't know what you don't know and life comes at you fast when things go wrong. And, um, and you know, th- these days I'm a little bit older and I've, I've had these really fucking messed up experiences along the way where, um, where now I'm like, you know, far more prudent about how I approach uh, any any business or any any endeavor that I want to run, and, and you, that that doesn't sort of take away from still being, you know, a renegade and still like pushing the envelope on what's possible and things like that. But you know, in in many ways, you you put controls around that, um, and and you learn things that you could have only learned by making those fuck ups in the first place. And kind of like what you said, it's you know, if you want to lose weight. There's a cost, you know, and, and the cost is you got to train your ass off, you got to eat right, you got to be disciplined, you got to be strict, you got to do all that sort of stuff. Now, you know, the the cost of not doing that and just being a fat lazy shit, for example, is that in the future you're going to have health problems, you're probably going to fucking die young, um, you're not going to be attractive, like or, or like every every action in life has a cost and has a reaction, yep. and all all life is is just a a case of picking which costs you're willing to pay. Like I, I'm actually a cheap bastard. I don't want to pay the cost of being a fat shit in the future. So I pay the cost of um, training now so that I can maintain, you know, good health. I pay the cost of working my ass off now because I don't want to be subject to being, you know, broke and destitute in the future. And, and that's kind of the, the trade off that people need to realize is, you know, what life's about, I guess. Yeah, I think there's also like a bit of an aspect of uh, obviously there's variations of this. So hard work is good, but if you're working in the wrong direction, it's kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, there's mm-hmm. 
you know, there's a, you know, huge amount of factors that go into this. So a lot of people hear your story and kind of go, like, it's a one-off, you know what I mean? But I think, once again, you have to factor in, like, a little bit of luck, a little bit of, once again, that skill that you had, perseverance, uh, but also access to the opportunities. Um, And I think a lot of people sort of sell themselves short when it does come to lack of opportunity because it's it's something that's, I don't know, um, like I grew up poor, so opportunity was big for me, but then there's there's that always that aspect of like you have to go out and find it. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of people coming up to you just just really writing a story off on just pure luck and you know what I mean? Like you've you've done nothing for it. You've just been in a position where you could do so. Like, what was your upbringing? So, were you were you one of these like generationally rich kids that had access to uh, to resources to get into this situation, or was it was it self built? Yeah, no, not at all. My, my my parents were you know working class, like my you know immigrants. They came from war-torn sort of Macedonia, um, Eastern, Eastern Europe. And, you know, they came to Australia with nothing. Um, my dad came here, I think when he was 16, they sort of escaped all the crazy shit that was going on and, you know, the war back then. And, and, you know, they came here and worked hard. Like my dad was working two or three jobs all his life, basically, you know, whether as a cleaner or, a, you know, working in the BP and Shell refineries and like fucking cleaning the chimneys and stuff like all this ugly, dirty fucking work, right? Yeah. And um and you know my my mom worked hard as well. She you know worked as whether it was at the chemist or as a receptionist or as this or that, like all sorts of stuff. And you know busted her ass too. And you know we like it, it was a broken family that I came from though. So like my parents split up um sort of on their twelfth or thirteenth year of marriage. I think I was eleven. My brother was ten, and there was this like crazy custody battle and all this sort of shit and you know my brother and my sister went one way i went the other um and then i ended up having to take care of my grandma in my young years because me and my dad couldn't get along anymore so i sort of you know and it was like that those sort of formative experiences in my life they sort of shaped me in becoming a resourceful young person and i ended up at the end of it sort of moving out on my own when i was 17 18 um, with nothing and then kind of started from there. I had, you know, I was good academically, got some scholarship money from the university and I then took my scholarship money and I put it on the stock market <laughs> Good choice. and taught myself to trade. Well, sort of. I, I mean, I, I basically looking back on it now, I was a fucking technically a gambling degenerate because I was, you know, I was trading options and warrants. I was trading derivatives and this is back in 2007, right? So this is before you know, Robin Hood, before any of these sort of things. Like, this was still before we had LCD screens. Like, I had a big, fat, white, you know, those uh, CRT monitors from back in the day yeah. um, sitting in my room. And, like, I would basically, between lectures, sprint to the um, sprint to the library and jump on. We had 100 hours worth of internet back then per month that we were allowed to access the internet. And, you know, I'd sort of run there and look at my stocks and be like, oh, yeah, I'm making money. Oh, fuck, I'm not. Um, and then, you know, run home at the end of um, at the end of uni and sort of try and figure out what's going on there and, like, trade and learn and read and all this sort of shit. And anyway, like, I, I turned my five grand of scholarship money into, like, 50. And then after that, sort of the, the 2007 uh, pre-GFC tremors happened. I, I can't remember if it was Lehman or Bear Stones or one of those guys went bust. 
basically I got fucking wiped my entire account. Um, like I, I think in one day on August the 16th, like I lost apes into my account in one day um, because I was levered up. And then, um, and then in the, in the space of six months thereafter, I managed to get a bunch of loans from the bank and margin and all this sort of shit. And anyway, basically my, my dream to be a millionaire when I turned 20 turned into, I was $250,000 in debt, uh, when I was 20 years old. Going the other way. Um, yeah, exactly. So I had to, I had the, the stick in reverse, not in first gear. And so, yes, yeah, so, so in many ways, I, you know, I guess I started my twenties, you know, $250,000 behind everyone. Um, you know, I still remember my friends at uni, they're like, Oh man, I got the $600 credit card bill. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, cute. Here's my, here's my bill, $60,000 from Westpac, $96,000 from ANZ, <laughs> got yeah. so much from elsewhere. I was like, I had to make 1500 bucks a week before I could eat. Um, and Thanks. you know, that sort of forced me to, forced me to work my ass off, man. And figure it out yeah so it's uh that's a wild ride especially in your early 20s i don't think a lot of early 20s uh, even have the uh like i didn't there's no i i knew work ethic but it was there's no mm-hmm. st- i don't i don't think there's any sh- stress attached to it It was just related to to hours into hours out you know what i mean mm-hmm. at, at a at a workplace rather than um like in, investing in any type which is which is crazy, especially back then. It's uh like now, like you said, it's a lot easier uh, for people to sort of get involved and and make a bit of money. Um, what happened all, after all of this? So you you lost it all. You started making it back. Uh, like what happens then? Yeah, what, were, I, what were your next couple of moves? So, so 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 I was yeah behind, and then the only thing I could do was so so I couldn't afford to stay at uni basically. Um, so I had to, I had to drop out and the only thing I could find on short notice. So I didn't have a resume. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any of that. And I was like, fucking hell, what do I do? And basically I, I found this place where, um, it was sort of door to door sales selling like an Ostar or Foxtel or something, pay TV. Yep. Um, and selling that door to door and it was a commission only job. So, you know, you, you, you get a sale, you get paid, you don't get a sale. Sorry, man. You don't get paid shit. Yeah. And that was sort of my, my thing that I like, I, I didn't even have a TV dude. Like I, I ended up moving into one of the salespeople's um, apartments and I, I lived on his lounge room floor uh, on a shitty fucking mattress. Um, and I would basically go to the office in the morning, uh, train up new people um, and then go out and knock on doors for nine hours from like midday to 9 PM. And then I'd come back home I would then read about the stock market, read about economics and try and figure out how in the hell did I get this shit so wrong and how did I lose everything? Yeah. And then sort of repeat the cycle the next morning, train in the morning, you know, get up at 5am, train, you know, get ready, get to the office, uh, teach people sales, go out on the field from 12, knock on fucking doors for nine hours. And I, and I did that and I became the best sale. Like I think, definitely the best salesperson in our region. I think the third best in the country for selling pay TV. And I didn't even know what the fuck was on the TV. <laughs> and what I learned was that it's, you know, like selling is about building a relationship. And I learned how to build rapport really quickly at the door. And, you know, I, I learned, you know, again, the work ethic, I, I, I would, my, my diet consisted of four cans of fucking tuna a day. And I would have two cans in each pocket. And basically I'd sprint between houses. Um, that was my, you know, 
training during the day. And I would only eat a can of tuna if I got a sale. Um, and on average, like, you know, people would get four or five sales a week. Yeah. I got so good. I was doing four sales a day on average. So then I could eat my four cans of tuna. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, man, like I, I kind of dug my way out of that initially there. Um, I, I like after a while, it felt like I was selling my soul because I didn't believe in what I was selling. And I was like, you know, people shouldn't be watching TV anyway. So then I kind of left that kind of went to set up my own little sales company on the side. And then, you know, I uh, sold uh, phone plans for Optus in the early days. And then the the contractor that I was selling for, we had a dispute that didn't pay me. So then kind of, you know, I depleted my savings again. So I had to go back and door knock again for another six months. But then the second time around, I set up my own sales company. And that time it was successful. And that that's how I basically ended up digging out of the quarter of a million dollar um, hole. And once I sort of dug out of that, I was in a position to sort of to expand and build on the foundation and that's when i set up uh, like i started selling for other solar companies i was like man i can sell basically anything door to door so fuck it i'll sell for these solar companies um so we went from selling small ticket items to selling big ticket items and that was a huge transition we went from like you know selling something 50 or 100 bucks at the door to like 15 20 grand <laughs> the first three weeks of it like we're like hey there you know he just says like you know people get all excited I'm like so how much i'm like well you know, this system starts at 15,000. They'll be like, yeah, mate, you can leave now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? But, you know, we, we, we figured that out and, you know, we started getting better at that. And I remember like, I remember the, the tipping point for that was me and a friend, we'd been knocking on doors for three weeks and we didn't have a single sale. And we're like, man, this is fucking impossible. There's no way we can do this. Like we're sitting there like negged out in the car and thinking, this is fucked. We're going to be selling trinkets for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we were just like, you know, what, fuck it. Let's just go one more time. Let's just knock around one more block. We'll figure this out. And we knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And one guy actually, you know, let us in. He was interested and we scored the fucking sale. And then over the next uh, day or two, there was another few people that called us back and signed up. And we sold like 100 grand worth of systems in, you know, those two days. Damn. And then, you know, the momentum picked up and then, you know, built that up. And I went from just selling solar panels to then supply install. I did the whole supply chain along the way. Um, and that was where my first real, I would say, successful business emerged. Um, so, yeah, so that, that, that's that kind of that chapter of the journey, which was. I think it sort of highlights that, uh, that mentality as well, um, especially with like owning a business. Uh, I remember having a discussion with somebody one day about it. And I think if you come from a place where the word no doesn't scare you, I think you, you're pro- probably a, a little bit uh, better equipped to, to handle your own business. Uh, just getting knocked back mm. all the time is not is something that a lot of people are not used to and they definitely don't like. Being told no yeah. or having a door jammed in your face or being told to fuck off. <laughs> You know what I mean? It it really sort of, you go, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's that weird amount of like perseverance and, and that grind that you have to kind of go, like I've committed 100% to my idea and I'm going to see it through. Mm-hmm. It's really hard, man. Like it really, really is. Like you've, you've got to, like I saw when I was training people to do sales, like, you know, there was, the churn rate is incredible, especially in commission-only sales jobs. Like, you know, we, we were actually more a recruitment company than we were a sales company because 
we spent more time trying to bring people in to train them up as salespeople than we did actually going out on the field and actually selling. It was wild. And, you know, it was, it takes, like you said, it takes a particular type of personality, someone who's willing or, or has a reason to keep going despite the no. Now, I, I've always been an introvert, like a super, super introverted person. I don't like interacting with people. And my idea of a good night out is, you know, staying at home, watching a movie or reading a book. Like that's sort of my version of a party. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for me going out there and knocking on doors was super fucking uh, intimidating. Like I, but, but the thing is I had to. So like I had like, you know, thinking of carrot and a stick, like I had a big fucking stick um, yeah. that was poking me that, you know, gave me very little choice but to go out and uh, do something. And, and And I guess this is where, you know, the importance of hardship is. I think we live in a world today that is being completely, and I don't want to say this word, but it's like in the traditional sense of it's become pussified, you know? So there's, there's, there's a guy I love called C.T. Fletcher. I love C.T. But yeah, he's a fucking legend. And, you know, he talks about the pussification of humanity, right? And it's like, you know, what we are doing is we're fucking weakening humanity. And if we've seen anything in the last year is this whole hell-bent attempt on fucking promoting safety over everything else. And we've completely devastated the entire world. You know, we, we've, we've destroyed so many people's fucking lives. We've, we've locked them inside. We've told them, you know, it's healthy to fucking put a face diaper on and breathe through that shit and sit inside, eat net, watch Netflix, eat fast food, and distance yourself from fucking every other human being. It's like all, all for safety. You know, all for this fucking thin veneer or fake promise that by isolating yourself as a human being and not exposing yourself to anything, you will somehow be safe. It's the, the most ridiculous, pathetic form of, you know, life or the pathetic, m- most pathetic form of philosophy uh, that can exist. And and this this is, again, it's, it's contrary to how human beings grow, evolve, and adapt. And, and you know, we... we I don't know. So society is hell-bent on optimizing safety and comfort as opposed to optimizing for freedom and growth. And and what we are seeing is, like I said, the pussification of humanity. We are seeing the weakening of, you know, people, of individuals, uh, of institutions, and of everything around us. And it it's not a good trend. I agree, uh, like to an extent. I, I, like I think last year was that's a hard topic, man. And it's like where do you, where do you sort of draw the line uh, in regards to, like for me, I guess like my thing with uh, COVID always relates back to, like I have a sick dad, so it's very hard, and I, and it was risk versus reward. But to an extent, I think there, like you said, there's an aspect of. <sighs> a lot of people complained about something that they could have controlled a lot better. And then what part of that did they want to sit at home eating food, being lazy fucks? You know what I mean? Like, I think we, we exaggerated a, something that could have been dealt with and handled a lot better. Um, but I, I agree with you in a sense that like we are softening the edges a, a little bit too much. There's a definitely a massive overcorrection. I think there's, with all the platforms and stuff that we have now, some of these causes are fantastic that are, you know, are bringing, are bringing light to things that shouldn't happen. 
but I think there's the fringe of it where it's trying to soften the edges too much where you you can't do anything, you can't say anything, you can't, you know, this this witch hunt culture that we have going on at the moment is really is really a way to be on the fringe my friend yeah be on the fringe yeah but yeah on the fringe we're we're living in the oppression i call it the oppression olympics everyone is you know everyone is trying to complain about i'm a bigger victim than you are that's Um, uh that is but that I, i think that's that's the thing right it's like if you can't if you can't achieve something in your life, there's a pissing competition with who has it the worst. I've, I've experienced this my sure. whole life and yeah. I've always been very like wary of people who do it. I, like, yeah. as, as you said, it's like, it always started with me with who has a less amount of sleep. People used to argue mm-hmm. with me on a regular basis. I don't sleep well. And it's like, well, I mm-hmm. sleep well for me. I get four to six hours. I'm happy with that. And people are like, oh, you only got, this amount, I got this amount. You're like, that's not what I'm saying it for. I'm just saying like, that's how much <laughs> sleep I get. You know what I mean? But it is that, I think it's just ingrained in you. If you're not good at something, be good at being bad. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know. Uh, it's easier to tear something down than it is to build it. Yeah, that's but that's the, right. That's a natural tendency. And we also like, I think we demonize hard work in a sense. Like if you see somebody working hard or doing something great, like unless it's handed to them, it's a weird, it's a weird polarizing thing where it's like, we look up to people like, like the Kardashians, right? And we go, Oh, you know, they're ultra famous and they're fantastic and we want what they have. But then you kind of like, well, as soon as somebody says they're doing well in life, you immediately attach it to something like I said, they've been handed it, or they've you know they've done this for it, or that this has happened to 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 cause this, rather than just saying well done. You know what I mean? But I think you get more praise if you go, oh, I fucked up my life this bad. You know, give me sympathy, give me pity. And I think we've really, as you said, we've really played into it, and it's really softened the edges where it's gone beyond. Um, like understanding people and wanting to sympathize to just a really blatant softened approach to life now where it's, you know, we have to cater for everybody's problems. Um, but I think as soon as yeah, you, well, as soon as you say that people are like, but, but my problems need to be heard. Like, what about me and my yeah. problems? Why do, why do they get it? And I don't, you are like, some people need it and some people definitely don't. Um, well, this, this is this is the problem with um, again you you choose to optimize for building uh, strength and freedom or you choose to optimize for building safety and comfort. They're actually diametrically opposed. Um, you can't like the 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 optimization matters, and you know we we are not building uh, strong humans anymore. We're, we're building weak humans um, for the purpose of you know. Uh, living within a comfort zone. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie Wally, um, you know, the, the Disney one where you've got the little uh, robot. The, the robot, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was the, yeah, the little junk robot. I remember the humans at the end, right? They're sort of on these uh, fucking floating chairs. Yeah. And, you know, they've got sort of... That's that's the, the direction uh, humanity is moving towards because we vilified being strong. We vilified being um, outstanding. We vilified greatness like we've and we've elevated mediocrity we've elevated the average we've elevated 
um, you know, the the oppression, the the you know the the virtue of the oppressed, and it's extremely dangerous as a precedent because what happens is it becomes okay to be average, it becomes okay to be you know fat, it becomes okay to be mediocre, it becomes okay to just be that, and and, and the the problem is is if people want to choose to be average on an individual level, that's fucking fine. You can do that for yourself. But to sort of use that as then a basis to force somebody else who's chosen to sacrifice, um, you know, or who's chosen uh, greatness through sacrifice and then enforce payment upon that person to lift the average up, that is fucking immoral. Yeah. So it's like, you know, someone who works their fucking asses off, for example, builds a business, does something, and then the person who does nothing and chooses to be mediocre and chooses to fucking scream about, I'm you know, the winner of the oppression Olympics this month, um, and then you have to take from the person who's chosen greatness and sacrificed the greatness to give to the, to the other idiot. And that, that's fucked up. And what that does is it creates really bad base incentives in society, which is, well, why the fuck should I work? Why the fuck should I you know, sacrifice everything just so that I can have half my shit confiscated by morons in a government to give to uh, whoever's screaming the loudest this week or this month yeah. um, for their oppression. And then you end up getting, you, you basically erode the the number of individuals willing to push the limit and willing to grow and willing to create and willing to produce. And so you diminish that number and you increase the number of basically leeches and mooches. And that has a really dangerous impact on society. And again, that's the, that's the trend that we're on now. And that needs to be fucking reversed wildly. Like it needs to seriously be reversed because it's not going to get better. It keeps accelerating. This is the problem with trends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's one of those things. It's it's like I think even people who will, who will listen to this will immediately be triggered by something. Like I'm not saying everybody, but some of them. Whether like, you know, there shouldn't be this, you know, there shouldn't be people making so much money or, or doing so much. And I've I, I think it's one of those things is like it's 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 a once again it's a hard topic because how do you separate the, the people who need it from the people who want it? Like wh- where's that defined line? I think that line has been blurred so much. I believe that there's people out there that need help. Um I think there's people out there that can provide help, but I think the problem is they're not connected because of the people in the middle. Um, I think some of the people in the middle, once again, it's exactly what you're saying. Where other than, than I, I think it comes down to capability. They have this ability to do it, but they don't want to. They just want the free ride. But then there's the people who don't have the capability, who don't have the access, that need a bit of help. But once again, they don't have access to the people who are doing it to learn and to better themselves. They're, yeah, well, there's an important, there's important nuance there about help. Help must be voluntary. It cannot be um, forced. Yeah, uh, enforced exactly. So yeah. as soon as help is something that becomes forced, then that is actually the definition of slavery. So if you know, if, if there is someone in need, so so need is a thing that exists. The thing is, nobody needs to help somebody in need. People need to want to help somebody in need, and and, and this is this is where things get um, 
things get really fucking dicey is all these people who are running around being social justice warriors say, you must mm. care about this cause, this cause, this cause, this cause. You must, like, so, so like, everything in existence has a ledger. You know, we were talking earlier about if, you know, like the, the, the idea of cost. If you, if you don't want to be fat, you need to train and eat less. Yeah. Fucking simple equation. Yeah. Um, so so that there's a cost to being healthy, right? Um, and there's a cost to not being healthy. Now, in, in, in the world of rights, the other side of the ledger of rights, and this is what people don't, know, don't fucking understand, is that there is responsibility. So if somebody has a right to have a house, that means that somebody that is somebody else's responsibility to build that fucking house, which means you are enslaving another for the supposed right of the former, which doesn't fucking work. It doesn't scale like that. That is not how society built is built. There is actually only like I don't, for example, I don't believe in human rights at all. There is only one single human right, and that is the capacity to choose or the right to choose. You don't have any other rights now. If you're your right, if your actions uh, dim, diminish or, um, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, prohibit another's right to choose, then you don't have that fucking right because you are taking that right away from somebody else. So, so th this is where, um, you know, and again, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but it's effectively like need is need is something that will always exist, but what um you know to solve for need there like help must be a voluntary um but b those who are in need must um realize that the responsibility is upon them uh to rise up because if you turn them into dependence uh they will they, they will always be in need that they'll never come out of need. Like, so, you know, yeah, I agree. Like, but classic, once... Give a man a fish versus, you know, teach him to fish. It's, yeah. It's that, it's that idea. I think once again, it's, it's such a hard topic because it's, it's going to apply to some and not to others. It's like, I think uh, like the Australian doll system is, is probably a good example of it. Right. So where there are people out there that, that need it, um, and they're being fuck. It's it's such a hard topic to talk about without fucking it up. Um, there's people out there that need it, and there's people out there abuse it. So people abuse it generally take more than they need because they don't want to do any better. And then there's the people who need it but can't can't change their circumstances. Like people with disabilities, yeah, the elderly. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. There's definitely people who I'm are. I'm going to disagree straight up, dude. I'm going to challenge you on that. You don't one think old people say, need the money? The should be completely abolished. No, fuck no. The old people have, like, pe people. What about people with disabilities, family, though? Like, like don't they, you think they that? have people that have family, loved ones, and people that have fucking cared about them around them. There's that. There's also private institutions, there's charities, there's the capacity for people who want to voluntarily give to give the idea that some central institution like a government or anything like that should go and rob working people of a portion of their money and give it to somebody else is completely immoral. Like if I want to help a disabled person, I should be 100% able to do that myself for my own reasons, not because I was coerced by the government through taxation 
in order to fund somebody else. So oh. absolutely not. Like the idea of the doll is abhorrent because you cannot get away from the corruption that it spurs. It's impossible. So the only way to do it is to allow for natural institutions to emerge, natural institutions of support to emerge. Like I'll use the, the bushfires as an example. Like the bushfires in early 2020 in Australia, half the fucking country burnt down. 80% of the support for that came from the private sector of people donating yeah. because they wanted to fucking help. 20% of it came from the morons in government who steal through taxation 50, 60, 70% of the, um, the working population's money in Australia, and they couldn't fucking round up um, some sort of help. You know, Scott Morrison was over in Hawaii on holidays while the country was fucking burning down. So, so, so the, the, all of that sort of stuff, like support infrastructure, has traditionally been, has been an emergent thing that's come from uh, immediate family, immediate friends, the community, and through private charity. That's the best, the most functional way to do it, not through these uh, institutions that act in the center as, as government because they always, always, always get corrupted. And the only solution to the corruption that, um, that they suffer from is to keep increasing the taxes on one side of the equation so they can bring more money in to try and deal with the influx of people that are coming in and rotting it. And that is a vicious cycle. It doesn't get better. It actually just continues to get worse until the system becomes bankrupt. So it's like, really fucking atrocious. Like that'd be more of like a, like a government issue. Not, it's not like a, a, a person issue, right? Like, like I believe that people need help. I've seen people who need help, who like need it. They can't physically do it themselves. But I do agree with mm-hmm. you that the, the, the amount of corruption that is involved from the top down um, is it's appalling. Like even even using the bushfires as an example, most of that money donated went to the pockets of the people you're donating it to. Like there's some like mm-hmm. appalling statistic of like maybe ten percent of what was donated out of like I think there was like a hundred million or whatever it may be. So only ten million went to it, and then places like um, you know the Smith family or whatever they're fucking called absorbed most of that money in fees like it's you know these donations are going for admin fees and you know shit like that so i believe it's a it's a systemic problem from the top down um and i think a lot of people once again they use that shit as an excuse to to rot the system that takes it away from the people that need i'm not saying that everybody needs not everybody needs it but to, to deny everybody because of the top is, I think it's a, like, it's a shit thing to do. It, I think there's a lot of, like, uh, people who it, want it to get... Matter. It has to It has to be denied it, it, because it doesn't get better. But it doesn't worse. that just fuel the top even more? Like, say if we were to get rid of the no, doll, for instance, like, where does that money go? Because they're still going to take it. Well, like, taxes, unfortunately, taxes aren't going to stop. goes into a deeper topic, which is we need to completely defund all governments. So everyone needs to simultaneously stop paying taxes um, because the government doesn't deserve a fucking cent. See that? Um, so so that, that's a bigger problem. We just need a better government. <laughs> like We just need to know that like our tax money has gone to something decent rather than fucking funding no, the people getting their dick out in, in Parliament House. or Yeah, like it, but it, this is it's an old fucking system that's been created for like eons ago when it may, maybe it was necessary, but it's definitely not needed now. That, that I can agree on. Uh, there has to be a better fucking system to this. Like, the, I think the this two party 
um, two-party fucking pissing competition that we've uh, that we've made is outdated. Uh, it's fucking useless, and it's been proven time and time, time and time again that it doesn't fucking work. But the thing is, it's like nobody's coming up with a better idea to say the two. Uh, there's definitely better ideas. There's, there's um, definitely better, but but it's not being it's not one being thrown out there and backed. Like people have their opinions on well, it, but but nobody's like putting it to work, right? Well, it, it can't be put to work whilst the existing edifice. Oh uh, yeah, I guess um, so. Exists. Yeah, I mean, there, there there is one really good alternative, and that is the idea of dictatorship. Um, you know, no, well, it's not dictatorship. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, I'm kidding. It's, it's um, it's like you know. It, Localism, basically. It's like we shouldn't have uh, nation states. The, the idea of a nation state is unnatural um, because you know the, the nation state as an organization is a bankrupt organization. It subsists through um, taxation of its constituents, through the ability or their monopoly on the creation of money, and through their capacity to borrow from the future, which is effectively uh, robbing the future constituents uh, of the society. And then what happens is they can do that in a method that is, you know, basically it, it, it lives in the space of moral hazard, which is um, if you and I play a game of heads or tails, you know, heads, I win, tails, you lose, for example, Yeah. sorry, uh, heads, I win, tails, you win. Right. Yeah. Um, or something like that. But the government, the game they play is heads, they win, tails, we lose. So, so they never, they never lose basically. Yeah. So, and so long as that institution exists, and it can only exist through the monopoly on taxation, the monopoly on um, in printing money, and the monopoly on borrowing from the future, um, which is supported through the monopoly of violence, um, they can continue to play an unfair game, and it only continues to get worse. Now, I, I call that the overlord-subject relationship. Now, the way things, I believe, will will uh, function in the future and you know something like bitcoin will bring this about because bitcoin eliminates the capacity for any institution any government to a tax or b uh, inflate the money which basically breaks them but the the only way w w where we move to in in a sort of bitcoin type world is a customer service provider sorry a service provider and customer relationship which is you live under a smaller local governance structure maybe a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people at maximum um so and in that uh society you have the capacity to opt out so you pay instead of a let's say instead of being taxed you just pay a membership kind of like a club to sort of live there and you can there's millions of these around the world so instead of having 192 countries we have a million cities basically yeah. and each city has its own slight variation um and each city has a different sort of membership. Some cities might be like, look, you know, there's no membership fee here, but, you know, you can come and you can work and, you know, we'll uh, take 10% of everything that you generate when you're working. That's how we function. Other ones might be like, look, we provide judicial services, police services, and um, protection from outside, and that's all we provide, and it's a fixed fee of X amount, and then everything else inside is private. You choose what you want to spend your money on and how and all that sort of stuff. And and that kind of a system that like the capacity to opt out keeps the governor um, or the governing body honest. We don't have that in the world at the moment today. Like for example, I mean you can test this yourself. Don't pay taxes for a year, see what happens. You Good go jail. to fucking jail. You don't have an option. 
Um, so we don't have a customer service. We don't have a customer service provider relationship. We've got an overlord subject relationship. And again, this is only possible because uh, governments have a monopoly on money. Now, if we strip governments of the monopoly on money, which is why something like Bitcoin is so important, um, they can't do that. So they're naturally forced to get smaller. Economic reality drives them into becoming smaller, becoming uh, more functional and running like actual businesses. And in that kind of a world, you, you, it's, it's a very, 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 very different future than what we sort of live in today. But again, that, that's probably a much, much larger conversation. Yeah, definitely. Sort of definitely. a high level of it. I think I, I, anything to do with the government, like I said, people are going to hear this and, and fucking flip out. But this, it's... It's so broad and so many factors that go into it that could, you know what I mean? You could, we could, like you said, we can go on about that for hours and hours and hours and, and whatever. I think the the thing that you bring up about Bitcoin, how, how it's changing, how we see money, uh, I think that's a good idea. It's something that I've, I've recently got into myself. Uh, like I've heard about Bitcoin for, for years, years and years and years. I remember like a friend coming up to me eons ago and i remember it was like it was super cheap going like we should just put a hundred bucks in it and leave it type thing and i was like it's silly because it doesn't make sense because it's i think we've uh as humans who have subscribed to currency being attached to something um you know being attached to gold or like you can go to a bank and withdraw money um but i think everything's starting to steer away from that now with all these cryptocurrencies coming into play uh and i think that outdated system of of currency is 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 changing the you know the you know this is worth something tangible whereas now like bitcoin uh, what's bitcoin up to now like something something pre possible 80 grand US yeah. oh, sorry, 80, 80 grand Australian um what got you into it like what was the start was it was it that aspect of there's it's not controlled by anybody. Oh, and it's not that it's not controlled, but it's it's not being abused well, it by. Well, isn't controlled by anyone. Yeah, by it, it isn't controlled by anyone. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's not being abused. There's still structure to it. There's still boundaries of 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 where it can go. But once again, it is a it's a free market. I guess it's just it's open doors, Correct. right? It's a free market. I'll I'll give you I'll give you a really easy distinction about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is about rules, not rulers. Yeah. That's great. And that is extraordinarily important is that Bitcoin is completely voluntary, completely opt-in. So kind of like what I was saying before about help and need, it's like it's completely voluntary. So if you want to, uh, you know, operate on the Bitcoin network, if you want to store your money, you know, uh, use it as a medium exchange or as a unit of account, which are the three functions of money, um, you can voluntarily do that. And if you don't want to do that, you don't fucking have to. You don't have to. Like yep. Bitcoin doesn't force you into doing it. Now, within the Bitcoin network, there are a set of clear fucking rules. It's a SHA-256 um, hashing algorithm. There's 21 million Bitcoin in total. It's um, a new block is mined every 10 minutes. The block size is four megabytes. Like, so, so all of that, those rules are set in stone and every single node on the network enforces those rules at a local level, but they achieve consensus globally every 10 minutes on those rules. It's fucking incredible. That is something that has never existed in the history of humanity. The, the ability for participants on a network to agree without knowing who the other network participants are. Yeah, and yeah. that's the fundamental breakthrough of what Bitcoin represents. Now, if you think about what 
you know, money is as an idea, like money is a meta idea. Money is a meta, call it a meta energy or a meta concept that has existed since the beginning of time. Like, and, and maybe let's make this interactive. So how would you try and define money? Um, like give me your best definition of money. Uh, I think money is a trade-off for time. Uh, I think the way we've structured it, it's a, it's a trade-off of time to buy resources. You spend your time to make money, to buy things, to spend time to make money. I think it's, uh, okay. it's dumb. I think money's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're on the right track initially, but then your last comment I think is really... Uh, um, I, think, I think the system that we no, have is dumb, rather. Let's, let's probably replace yeah. it with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so that, that, that's accurate. So, so, so money is actually the most important invention of humanity. There's nothing more important on the planet than money. And that is because money is the way we are able to store the product of our labor. So if yeah. anybody values their two most precious resources, their time and their energy, they're the two fixed resources that we have. And what we do as human beings is we take our precious resource, like our time or energy, and we mix it with, you know, maybe uh, physical resources or something like that. And we produce a good or a service or something that, may add value to other people and those other people collectively make up the market. So, so that's what we, the function of all human beings in society is to take their scarce resource of time and energy and do something with it and input it into society. And it's measured in this meta idea of money such that later on pe different people can trade the product of their labor amongst each other without having to suffer from the limitations of things like barter because barter doesn't work. Like if you have a fucking banana and I have an apple, but I want to shoot, it's almost impossible for us to trade, right? So, so money's, money's like a fabric that binds all of society. Yeah. Now, the thing we've done with money over the centuries is, or over the millennia, uh, in fact, is we've used different things, different objects to represent this meta idea. So money actually started off as, you know, these promises. Like for example, you go hunt the, you know, the, the animal, I'll pick the berries and someone else is going to clean the cave and we'll sort of uh, tally that up somewhere. And it sort of went from memory, but you know, the human memory is not strong enough. So then we started um, writing it. And actually the first, the earliest cave writings we have on the planet are actually ledgers. They are the, the, the first things that we have are cavemen fucking figuring out who did what. And yeah, th that was actually so. primitive money. But we had to sort of go out of our caves and emerge out from there. So then we started finding objects to represent this idea of money. And, you know, objects change from rocks to sand to fucking salt to yeah. seashells to, you know, we used knives for a while, rice stones, all these sorts of things. And, and over time, over a couple millennia, we actually emerged onto a really interesting physical object to represent money. And this was an object that had a series of attributes which were really good. Now, that object, you may have guessed it already, it's gold. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason gold won was not just because it was some yellow shiny metal, but gold was durable, it was portable, kind of divisible, um, it was recognizable, it was fungible. Fungible is a really important attribute for money, so gold was one of the only things, and, and it actually had this benefit because it's the only uh, solid chemically inert element on that we know of in existence so in other words when you find gold in its natural form it's fucking gold it's not mixed with anything else yeah and it's the same whether you're in europe in africa in australia in asia doesn't matter 
Yeah. And that that and lastly, it was scarce, so you couldn't produce it out of fucking thin air, right? So like, you know, shells, for example, failed as money because if you worked all your life inland and then you went and retired on the beach, all of a sudden you're a pauper, right? So yeah. so so gold was different in that it was scarce globally. So anyway, with those attributes, gold emerged not by some decree, not because it was mandated, but because it through through its through its physical properties emerged all around the world, bottom up, to be the best form of money, the best mechanism to measure that meta idea of money that I was discussing. Now, this sort of happened over thousands of years, and about 500 years ago, you know, human beings sort of wised up to the idea of, well, fuck. No one wants to carry their gold around because at this stage, you know, the world was a bit wealthier. You know, each piece of gold had a much higher purchasing power than it had in the past. So now there was a risk to carrying a bunch of gold with you. So they were like, look, we're going to, uh, and it started off with goldsmiths. The original banks were goldsmiths. They were like, store your gold here. I'll give you a receipt of how much gold you have. Now, this also served the purpose of making gold more divisible, which is, look, uh, you got this one chunk of gold, but I'll give you a hundred certificates which fractionalize that gold, and then you can use those for trade. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of how banks emerged. But then somewhere along the line, somebody realized that, well, fuck, no one's actually checking what's in the vault here, so let's just issue more paper against That's right. Them. Yeah. And in doing so, what they did was they started skewing the very basis upon which civilization is built. And, you know, fast forward a couple hundred years, I'm jumping over a lot of, um, you know, the, the intricacies here. But effectively, we live in a world now, today, where the, the issuance of money is no longer tied to not just gold, but to the actual definition of what money is, which is money represents the collective time and energy and value and input in society. These days, money is just merely what a couple bureaucrats and central bankers want to press a button and print. Yeah, That's all it is, which means it no longer represents reality. And when they do that, they do something extremely dangerous, which is because the, the, the economy is a closed system. If you produce something out of thin air on one side, it actually is paid for on the other side of the equation. So me, you and everyone else who's holding their money that they print, we actually get poorer and they enrich themselves. Right. And that is so fucking dangerous, and it creates the worst precedence for life. And it, what it does is it then turns into malinvestment. It turns into the, the heightening of time preference, which is an economic term which um, talks about how people value the future of the present. And like it's, it just it has really bad fucking ramifications on the planet. Um, and it's a form of theft, basically. It's a form of blind theft. Now, you know, Come 2008, Bitcoin comes in and it says, all right, here's a, a network, a digital network that will run completely on individual servers all around the world um, who, with, you know, through proof of work, uh, will achieve consensus on a regular basis every 10 minutes. And the rules of the network are what I sort of mentioned earlier, 21 million yeah. Bitcoin, uh, a block every 10 minutes. Each Bitcoin is divisible to uh, eight decimal units. Blah, 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 all these rules. You can choose to opt in these rules. Uh, you can also choose to change the rules if you want, but as soon as you change the rules, you actually fork the network and you're on your own network. You're actually off Bitcoin. You're on something fucking else. Yeah. And, and that, that, that incredible um, security feature, which is 
security through openness is like something that has never been done before as well. And what that does is it means all of the economic masses sort of converged on Bitcoin. And over time, people are realizing that, hey, the only place that is genuinely safe for me to store the product of my labor, to store my wealth, is on something that nobody can manipulate, where nobody can change the rules. And if they change the rules, they're out of the system, which is fucking incredible. And that's what Bitcoin represents. And for me, like to answer your original question, I originally came to Bitcoin because I thought, I was going to make more dollars. Now I don't see it that way. I see it purely to get the fuck away from dollars into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is money. All this other shit that is issued by governments is fake. That's right. I think, uh, I think that'll resonate with the most of most people. Like I said, I, I I only just started like it's, uh, Mm -hmm. for me, it's, um, kind of like a better way of saving money. Uh, I've never really subscribed to putting my money into a bank. Like I have, obviously, but the saving system that they create <clears throat> is a bit ridiculous. Like they hold your money, invest it, make more money, and they'll give you 0.2% uh, over a year <laughs> for them to make more money off your money. So uh, that's that's why I got into it. It's And then you kind of, like you said, it's, it's a better way and everybody's talking about it and the whole... I reckon everybody on the planet's gotten one of these emails that's get rich off Bitcoin. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, but then you kind of, when you start to really like put money into it and you put time into it and you put your, like a little bit of brain power behind it, you start to realize like nothing is stopping this. Nothing is, and it is, it is the future and it is a better system. Um, it's once again, it's, it's not, it's not controlled by some, you know, yada yada, who's who's purely doing it to to make themselves rich and to make money off your back and your your time and your effort. It's a system that what you put in, yeah, it fluctuates, but it's but it's yours. And well, it's, it actually doesn't. It actually doesn't fluctuate. The only thing that fluctuates is the relative exchange rate. Yeah. Against Bitcoin, so so Bitcoin itself has always been twenty one million Bitcoin. Has always been, uh, you know, new Bitcoin being minted every ten minutes. Like so. So Bitcoin itself doesn't fluctuate. It's everything that you know is oh, yeah, measured yeah, yeah, yeah. against Bitcoin fluctuates, and that that's a. It sounds like a small. It sounds like semantics, but that's yeah. a really important um, thing to realize. Is you know, whilst some might say, "Oh, Bitcoin's gone from nothing to eighty thousand dollars," it's actually the dollar has gone it's, down yeah, yeah, six percent against the against Bitcoin. That actually, that once you said it like that, that that makes perfect sense. Because that's what's happening. So, so like, here, here's a good little mental model to think about. Imagine you're able to go back five thousand years, yeah, and everyone was still using salt and seashells and stuff. And then you found this big yellow rock, and you're like, "Oh, this thing looks durable. It looks portable. It looks um, recognizable. It could be fungible." You know. So let's say somehow you knew that, and you went to buy a chicken from like the the market stall. You know, back then, and you know, you're like, "All right, can I buy a chicken?" And I've got this thing called gold here. Yeah. And the guy's like. What the fuck is, is, what that? The fuck like, is well, that? It's the future of money. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, well, can I eat it? Can I wear it? Can I drink it? Yeah. No, like, As a practical Just use. give me shells because yeah. I don't want this yellow rock. But if you could have lived for 5,000 years, that yellow rock would buy you a kingdom. Yeah. Because the rest of the world will have caught up, not because they were told to, but because gold has better properties for money. Now, Bitcoin is the ultimate 
type of money. It has the perfect properties. It is ultimately portable. It is ultimately divisible. It is perfectly fungible. Like a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. Doesn't matter where you are. It yeah. is perfectly fucking uh, recognizable. Like the, the the node verifies Bitcoin only. It is actually unlike gold. It is actually perfectly scarce. It's a fixed amount, and that has never existed before. Like gold. Isn't, we don't actually know what the total amount of gold is. So, yeah, so that, that's right. that scarcity actually fluctuates. So, so Bitcoin is actually perfect money. And all we are is we're in the early innings of the discovery by the world of a better form of money. And what I call economic Darwinism, which is, you know, Bitcoin doesn't care if you like it or not. Um, you know, you should care though, and your future self should care because if you're if you're accepting payment today and you're holding the product of your labor, in other words, your money, if you're holding it in like dollars or euros or something like that, that's like holding shells, shells or salt yeah. 5,000 years ago. Yeah, that's right. So you can do that if you want, but you're going to bankrupt yourself and you're going to destroy your own future that's because right. you're not holding the superior money. So in terms of like Bitcoin, do you only do trade Bitcoin or do you trade it? Do you just buy it and hold it? What What is your... I, I buy it and hold it, man. This is like yeah. only Bitcoin. All the rest of the stuff, all the other cryptos are fucking shit coins that don't get what Bitcoin is about. Bitcoin is about demonopolizing money so that yeah, no one yeah, controls yeah. it. So you got these other idiots who come out, they launch their own crypto and they miss the memo, which is they issue their own money. So they're no different to government. They're like saying, like all these idiots, like Ethereum and all this other stuff, they're like, oh, government's bad. Trust me instead. I'll issue my own yeah, money. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the same blah, blah, thing. Blah. Like well, but it's on a it, <laughs> same fucking it, thing. Yeah, yeah it's a, it looks a, a little like Bitcoin, and it's you know uh, they try and steal the narrative of Bitcoin basically, but they they're giving you fiat again. So so like modern money, government money is called fiat because it's issued by the decree of someone. Yeah. So all this other shit is all these other cryptos are digital fiat because they're just issued by a pack of nerds or a pack of cronies or a pack of whatever, and they're issuing you their own money. And there's all these people that are sitting there thinking like. Oh, Bitcoin's too expensive, so maybe I'll buy this thing. And they're like, don't even understand why. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, I, uh, it's wild. I remember watching an interview recently with somebody, and they're like, even at its at its current state, I think it was like sixty five grand. They're like, you're still better off having it than not having it. It's um. Oh, mate. Relatively speaking, like in in terms of relative dollar terms. Bitcoin before the end of this decade will be closer. To, it'll be somewhere between six to sixty million, somewhere in that range. Damn, I'm so going to start pumping money that, into it. Like, so <laughs> six is a very six million is a fucking low estimate. Sixty million is probably a fair estimate um, in terms of relative price. Like, there is no one who is going to sell you their Bitcoin for fucking dollars. They would be idiots. That's like. Yeah, the, that's like the people who bought pizzas with it. The gold for salt. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Who's gonna do that? And and here's the thing: there'll be a tipping point when that comes. So think about this: a market is just a market price is where a buyer and seller meet. Now, yeah. if you had, let's say, you know, let's use Wagyu beef as an example. There was one cow left on the planet that you know had the best Wagyu beef, and that was it. How much do you think that cow will get bid for? Oh. It'll sell for billions. Yeah, that's I guarantee right. you. So when 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 Bitcoin hits that tipping point, and we are so far from the tipping point, it's not even funny. So, but when it does hit that tipping point, and when people start to realize that this is the only way I can keep the product of my labor safe, mate, that no one's going to sell you their Bitcoin for fucking any amount of dollars. And what you'll end up having is a gap between the buy and sell, 
where the first person who's willing to sell you some Bitcoin might be, they'll be like, ah, oh, fuck it, you know what? I'll sell you a bit, you know, half a Bitcoin for a million bucks. Yeah. That then makes the market price of Bitcoin a million dollars. That that's gonna happen so fucking fast, everyone's head will spin. They they won't understand what that means. People sort of still view Bitcoin as some sort of speculative trading asset where they can make money by trading. That's all stupidity. What you want to think about it as is like you're collecting gold, like you're finding gold over the centuries. If you could do the same thing, you're doing that with Bitcoin today. You're collecting it in small chunks and you're just putting it aside and you're waiting for the rest of the world to catch up because it's kind of like another analogy I'll give, and this will be the final analogy, is this idea of um, kind of acquiring territory, acquiring land in a place that everybody's going to want to be. Yeah. So Bitcoin yeah. is sort of this virtual territory. It's a world in which it's completely voluntary. It's market-driven. It's merit-driven. Um, it's competence-driven. Um, in that world, no one can get an unfair advantage against someone else because you can't print Bitcoin, you can't co-opt it, you can't run it for your own benefit to someone else. So everybody's going to want to go here. And as they come, there's a limited amount of territory. So the question is, what are you doing today to acquire some of that territory? Are you trying to gamble it with fucking shit coins? Are you trying to find the right time to buy it? Are you trying to buy a dip and trying to you know magically look at your... um? the crystal ball to know when to enter or are you doing the intelligent thing which is every single day or every single week you're putting some bitcoin aside so i'm doing and that i would propose is the best strategy yeah i think like i said before um i think a lot of people are getting into it and it's it is terrifying because it is going up so fucking quickly um uh and i've, I've had a chat to a lot of people about it and once again I'm, I'm no way an expert but i th- i always use the if you were to just use it as a savings account. Like just look at it like that where you're putting money into something that's making a bit of money, um, but there's not some dick bag taking money off the top. Um, I think a lot of people do it and they, they see where it does dip and immediately what do people do when things dip? They want to get rid of it and they sell it and to try and recoup. But I think as somebody who is sitting on like the just the, the starting line of of – crypto i think it's if a lot of people just buy it like you said just put a little bit in each week that's all you got to do but if you don't you are going to be one of those people with the the shells as soon as they changed you know gold to shells and you got a million shells and you're like well what the fuck do i do with this you're going to be that person uh yeah and it's coming like it's it's not it's not slowing down it's not stopping how many times have people said bitcoin's going to fall on its ass i i was one of those people I was yeah, very so big. Was I. So I was, was very I. big on it's fucking days. stupid. It doesn't make sense. Who's doing this? Who's doing that? I think that's a that's a narrative that a lot of people will tell you, uh, and a lot of people with their with their interest in cash in in their interest in the old system, they're going to tell you that narrative. But I guarantee they've invested in Bitcoin themselves. Um, so uh, I think I think. A lot of people are going to have an opinion. The, the, the question is how many people actually understand and can explain to you uh, what the actual definition of money is, first and foremost. How many people can explain to you the mon- monetary history and how money evolved as an idea? Um, and how many people can actually explain why Bitcoin actually represents um, the ultimate form of money? Very, 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 very few people on the planet can do that. And that actually reflects in how many people hold Bitcoin. And and just like you sort of said then is, I mean... At least with gold, the emergence of gold took a number of thousands of years. So, you know, you wouldn't have gone broke in a, um, 
in a in a generation. But Bitcoin is going to compress that five thousand years of monetary evolution into a couple of decades. Yeah, and it's going to come so fucking fast that everyone's head will absolutely spin. This time next year, like when when like, just to give you an idea, last year you know everyone was laughing at me. You know when Bitcoin crashed to four thousand, all this sort of stuff. When you know the whole pandemic bullshit started. Yeah, and I was like, man, this is just people being afraid and dumping their Bitcoin because they're not understanding Bitcoin. They're just sort of needing liquidity or whatever the case might be. Yeah. And I was buying as much as I could during that drop. Like I was fucking balls deep. And <laughs> the thing is today that, you know, so Bitcoin fell to $4,000 then. So ba- barely a year since Bitcoin was 4,000. Now it's 80,000. 80 so Bitcoin moves on a daily basis. What Bitcoin was worth in its entirety last year. And mark my words, it's $80,000 now. There will be $80,000 a day moves in the next year or two. So so people think it's expensive, but all they're thinking about is the dollar uh, measurement of Bitcoin, which is not how to think about Bitcoin. Is you, you sort of want to think about Bitcoin in terms of what's the total global monetary capitalization, and it's in the hundreds of trillions. Bitcoin's only $1.1 trillion at the moment in terms of total net, network value. It's going to chew up all of that hundred trillion and more, and that means Bitcoin's still got hundreds or thousands of X to go in terms of size. So we are so early in the in the grand scheme of things. It's just this is not even funny. So again, don't look at it as an investment. Look at it as the only mechanism through which you can save the product of your labor. And don't think of it in making in terms of making money. All you're doing is you're saving the product of your labor and by doing that in a superior form of money, your purchasing power for that amount of money is going to increase commensurate to how many people also want to hold this thing. And man, there's nothing, there's nothing more important happening today. And, you know, I urge everyone to sort of think about this shit deeper. Like I'm sure you put some show notes in here, but you know, I've written about this extensively from a philosophical standpoint, from an anthropological standpoint, from a monetary and economic history standpoint, all of that stuff's there. Like people need to learn about this because if they don't, I mean, it's on them. But you know, they'll be they'll be pissed off later for not doing it. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a price to there's a price to ignorance. Buy Bitcoin, everybody. Go sell everything. No, I'm kidding. Don't sell everything you own. Sell some things that you don't need. Jam that shit into some Bitcoin. Um, Alex, this has been great, man. Uh, Appreciate it. You got your you got your shit on going on. I like it. I enjoy it. I'm gonna I'm gonna tag all your stuff. Everybody, please go check him out. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you can take away from this sort of stuff. But I, I, once again, I think there's a very clear line, especially with cryptocurrency, where it's heading, um, where society's heading with it. It's not one of those things that uh, society will change and then it'll grow. Uh, the coin will grow and then we'll change around it. It's. Uh, uh, it's very defining. Yeah, is, it, is there uh, is there anything you want to say to leave with? Uh, no, man. Look, I think, you know, for me, I call Bitcoin the renaissance of responsibility. I think we live in a world today where responsibility is just passed down the line and no one actually gives a shit who's responsible at some point. Um, yeah. Bitcoin brings responsibility back to the fore and that will have extraordinary ramifications on how society functions. Um, you know, it'll, it'll, if Bitcoin does anything, it removes waste on every layer of society from an economic standpoint, from a governance standpoint, from a, you know, welfare standpoint, from all that sort of shit that we see waste in. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, people would do well to understand 
you know, more of the ramifications better and, you know, position themselves economically speaking uh, in a better way by buying some Bitcoin. So that's, um, that'll be my final thoughts, man. Easy as man. All right. Thanks legend. I'll, um, I'll email you the, the show soon, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, like I said, very informative, very, uh, very educational. Um, I'm like I said, I'm sure there's much more we could have gone on about, and this could have been hours and hours and hours. Um, but I think we've really got always, the point always another time, man. Hundred so percent. Whenever you're ready, let me know, brother. Easy. All right, Josh. Thanks, bro. All right, thanks, boss. See you later. Ciao. All right. Don't look at that. Let's uh, let's get rid of that. Let's try and open this one. What a what a ride. That was a little bit of tech issues at the start, so sorry for keeping everybody around. Uh, Alex is a legend. He's a good dude. Uh, once again, some of his opinions you're, you're probably going to hear and, and, and it'll give you a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction to 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 what it is. Um, but I think there's a lot to take away from that, regardless of where you sit. Um, there's a change coming. There's a very big fundamental change uh with how we look and, and deal with money uh and for for somebody who made as much money as he has i think we'd be very ignorant to ignore that um ignore some of his advice uh once again it's not a sell all you sell your life up and, and jam it into bitcoin and wait 10 years for it to, to pay off even if you chip uh chip away and put little bits at a time i think that's the uh that's the key um, alrighty guys thank you so much once again if you like it share it uh, we're on all platforms that'd be great if you want to support the show that'd probably be the best way uh, leave a review that, uh, that'll that get us up the list a little higher uh, if not if you want to go a little further we've got the subscriptions on buy me a coffee or make a donation to GoFundMe let's, uh, let's grow the show and let's keep this bad boy going thanks a lot guys see you later